This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 486, recorded on April 15th, 2021. Here on Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home. News reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Carlson, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in Bellevue. Mike, what I thought, we had we were in spring, and we've had two freeze warnings in a row. What's going on, man? What's 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 happening here? I have no idea. I had this problem yesterday. I When you are used to the 70 degrees, and then you work in your basement, uh, and you look outside, and it looks gorgeous. I went to my kid's soccer practice in shorts and a short sleeve shirt, and I was freezing. I did not realize how actually cold it was. Yeah, we Nebraska, we just can't decide. Do we want to be like 50s? Do we want to be 75? And then in the middle of the night, apparently now we're just deciding to go back down to freezing. Yeah, it's been insane. Cody, you you live in what I think is the best place in the world for weather. Like I think San Jose, my hometown, I, I didn't I didn't know how good I had it till I left. It's always it's always sunny in 75, right? I mean it's it's pr- it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, you would have we we talk about the weather on this show every show because there's weather to talk about. You would have nothing you'd be like, yep. Another nice week. We could use a little rain. <laughs> well, I, you know, so it's funny, right? Cause like growing up, I grew up in California as well. And it, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the meteorologist, it was sort of like, and what did, what, what do you do exactly? <laughs> Cause you know, it was, it was not always, it's either 75, 80, maybe it's 85, you know, but it's you know, it's kind of this 10 degree range. Not that hard. Well, we're hoping, I, I think we spring is on the way. I got tricked into putting some plants in that I thought we were clear. And of course we've had freeze warnings the last two nights. And I think, I think it got them. So it's like, well, I'll be replanting those. Uh, so anyways, we'll remind folks, um, you can uh, catch the show notes to the show out at theaverageguy.tv. Um, uh, don't forget, if you want to join us in the world of crypto, uh, it continues, Mike, crypto markets continue. Cody, have you jumped in on this crypto thing? Are you are you a crypto guy at all? I'm I'm still observing. Okay. So I'm I'm actively observing, but... Um, yeah, I'm. I'm yeah. not ready to. I'm not ready to jump in yet. Maybe you guys can talk talk me into it tonight. Well, uh, we we'll see. we did a whole show on it last week, kind of the bringing everybody up to speed on the market. If you want to, if you want to dabble in it, if you go to theaverageguy.tv/slash/coinbase, open an mm-hmm. account there. Your first after you put in a hundred, you deposit a hundred, do a hundred dollar trade, you get ten bucks. So it's not a bad way. You know, you get a little ten percent uh, uh, boost on there. We we have been telling people like. Don't go big on it if you don't understand it, because <laughs> this is not one of those. You know, I've watched a lot of people jump into this thing and kind of go crazy. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, this thing can move. Mike and I have watched this thing move fast both directions. <laughs> right, Mike? Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah. So that's why I'm hoping one more of those down direction happens so I can give me a yeah. good chance to get back in. I'm waiting for that 2018 um, January of 2018 thing to happen again, where we were yeah. at our twenty thousand dollar high, dropped all the way down, and we hit back down to like three or four thousand at some point in that next year. Or so, yeah, I'm waiting for that. Me, me too. I'd like to see. So, Cody, you can be maybe if you invested in it, that would just cause the drop because that's maybe. usually what happens. That's yeah. usually what happens yeah. when we talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> and the, it'll be that hundred dollars that just tips it over the edge. And, yeah, and that's it. It'll be like you'll you'll buy in. That'll be the highest you will ever see it as it's uh, as it's plummeting. So don't don't do that. But if you want to, if you're listening, you want to join us on Coinbase. Uh, the way to do that: theaverageguy.tv/slash. 
Coinbase to get that really done. Really public thanks. company, by the way. Yeah, know was that this public this week? Was that Thursday? Yep. Or was that Wednesday? Uh, yesterday, I believe. Yesterday? How are they? Uh, have you followed it? How are they? They, they closed down off their opening. I mean, they're going to have a hard mm-hmm. time. They think they were valued at sixty-one billion dollars. That's a very hard price tag to justify. Um, when they were talking about their potential market, they literally listed like every single cell phone in the world. Like, yeah, anyone with a cell phone, that's our potential market. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so uh, I think they're going to have some struggles out the gate. Okay. But uh, nonetheless, they are a publicly traded company now. Well, good good for them for going public. But then there's all kinds of, that brings a whole bunch of new problems of the quarterly reporting and all the regulatory stuff that has to go on. I mean, stuff you should probably be doing anyways. But uh, the, the, a new scrutiny. Um, probably, Mike, good for crypto to have the company that's working with it with this kind of scrutiny, because I think that's been one of the problems of the, uh, the um, perception of crypto is that it's just, it's just the wild West, no regulatory, no, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think there's pros and cons. I think you're always going to get the crypto purists who are like, well now Coinbase is beholden to their shareholders. And before we were kind of like this, you know, decentralized, not controlled by any government. And now one of the biggest, you know, places where people get into the crypto market is going to be out for profit for shareholders instead of, you know, being true to the crypto mantra. So there's going to be arguments from both sides. I'm not really sure where I land on that. Probably somewhere right smack dab in the middle, like I usually do on these issues. Um, so yeah, but you know, it's, it's, it's good nonetheless, right? It's just getting it more and more mainstream, which yeah. I think is, is, is well, good. It's the on-ramp that's getting regulated. And I think exactly. that's actually helpful to, to crypto. It gives it a little yeah. bit more, uh, it makes it a little bit more legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. From that standpoint. So, but you're right. Everybody's all over the place on that thing. So, right. uh, anyways, well, we have Cody wheat with us. Cody joined us. Uh, I think we forget 19, 20 months ago. So, it was a Cody. It was a whole different world <laughs> in August of 2019. The last time you were on here, um, uh, give us. Uh, let's spend a little time. Catch us up a little bit. Wh- what have you been doing? Where have you gone? You know, you started with a new company. The last time we talked to you, you, you were out in southern Southern California. Is that I right? Was, yeah, I was. Yeah. So ca- do it. Do a quick two minute catch up uh, of where you've been and what you've been doing. Sure. So the last time we spoke, I was living in Highland Park, uh, which is uh, kind of the east side of Los Angeles. I was in a closet. So if people want to go back and find that episode, it's kind of hilarious. I was recording from an oversized closet, which was very just indicative was, of the whole situation. It was fine. It was fine. It was, it was, <laughs> the show was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, and it was, it was a good time. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I was a handful of months into starting with this new company, Libdim. Um, and, uh, at that point it was, it was towards the end of 2019. So I was getting ready to move up to San Jose, uh, in part on the premise that being in the office and having face-to-face time with my coworkers was an important (laughs) thing and something that was going to be a worthwhile endeavor. Obviously 2020 had some different plans. Um, so I ended up moving up to San Jose middle to end of January. So had, you know, a month or six weeks to sort of check out San Jose, spend a few weekends in San Francisco and see some friends up there. And then that all came to a screeching halt. And, uh, you know, that time period of March, April, you know, this time last year, March, April, May, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of uncertainty around what this was going to look like. You know, half of our business um, was selling to bars and restaurants. 
And so when half of your business or, you know, 40% of your business just all of a sudden isn't there, uh, that, that was definitely, uh, there were a lot of, a lot of restless nights I'll say, uh, during those few months, I'm happy to report now that we, we pulled through, we kind of pivoted as a company and started working with some more online, uh, retailers and different online opportunities. And we can certainly dive into what that's looking like. Cause I think it impacts the consumer experience quite a bit as well. And we're really excited out here for bars and restaurants to get back opened up, um, and start supporting those guys. And, yeah, just get ready to some semblance of life after COVID and and some semblance of normal. What what are the rules in the Bay Area right now as far as wh- when are they feeling like it's going to bars will reopen and and that kind of stuff will resume? Full capacity that's been listed is June fifteenth, um, which I think at that point they're feeling like the majority of people who want to get vaccinated will at that point have had an opportunity to be vaccinated. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll have, you know, kind of the 4th of July and through the end of the year and hopefully have kind of a holiday rush, um, into the bars and restaurants. That's, that's what we're hoping for. Is that exactly going to happen the way it did in 2019? I don't know. Um, I think we'll still have a little bit of a lag as people get back into the habit of going to bars and restaurants, right? I think, you know, for better or for worse, we are creatures of habit. And I think a lot of people really have gotten used to, I cook at home. I, I dine at home. If I'm going to make a cocktail, I do this from home. I am ordering my, uh, my wine and spirits and my beer. It's getting sent to me or I'm ordering it in from the different grocery chains. So, you know, I'm optimistic that there's going to be a portion of the population that wants to go back out there and, uh, really support the bars and restaurants. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out, but I personally really excited to, be able to sit down and and have a drink with some friends. <laughs> I am too. Like that is something even in Nebraska and we've we've been slowly, you know, like for example, when I go to like hockey, hockey's still going, our pickup league and and the bar in the rink is still allowed to be open. So it hasn't been like totally shut down. But it, it's so interesting when you talked about the pivot, right? And, and kind of having to pivot to different sectors. I imagine though, first of all, just the decision to do we pivot because how long is this going to last? And it just kept feeling like last year it was like Okay, no, we're gonna be good. We're gonna be going back. We're gonna be going back, and it just it just kept being extended. So maybe like talk us through. I'm really interested to hear about the pivot to the different sector, and then like when did you finally just like pull the pin and be like, okay, we need to do it. it this is time. This isn't going back to normal anytime soon. Sure. I mean, so first off, you know, Libdib is a startup alcohol distributor, which is that in and of itself is kind of an oxymoron. Uh, the other, you know, our main competitors have been around since the late 1800s, right? I mean, Young's Market, which was just bought by Republic National. I mean, they were founded in, I think, like eight, 1870s is when oh. Young's Market was initially founded, right? So um, Southern Glaciers, Wine and Spirits, similar story, right? Kind of turn of the century is when they got started. So you're dealing with companies that have a lot of history. And when we come in and we say, well, the company is, you know, four or five years old, you know, it's just like completely uh, alien to, you know, the rest of our competitive landscape. Um, so we just out of necessity had already been looking into some of these online channels as a path of business. So it wasn't completely new. And we actually, I would say, had a little bit of a first mover advantage within that space. And the way that we talk about the industries, we talk about the on-premise, which is bars and restaurants. We talk about the off-premise, which is independent retailers and your grocery chains. 
And then we talk about e-premise and e-premise is all of these online sites, online stores that have been popping up. And that was how we divided up our, our revenue even before COVID. Um, and then when this happened, it became pretty clear, uh, you know, cause we're still very much in startup mode that, Hey, we need to keep the revenue coming in. So out of necessity, let's kind of go all in on this e-premise side of things and see what happens because we don't know what this is going to look like. I mean, Mike, to your point, at first it was, well, this is going to be two weeks. And then it was, this going to be a month. Right. And I, we forget that, right. Because now it's like, oh, it's just how it's been for a long time. But initially it was like, okay, two weeks, then a month, then one more month, then another month. And so we, we really were feeling the need to, to make this pivot. Um, So it, it happened pretty quickly that it was, it was the situation was we, we need to go, we need to invest and see what this looks like. And it's, it's been a pretty wild ride. Um, we've been able to do through these online partners, some really unique offerings. So in addition to, you know, kind of just the traditional, I'll say kind of standard offerings that a lot of our tequila, mezcal, whiskey producers provide, We've also started doing a lot more like single barrel expressions. Mm. Um, so this is for those who don't know, this is where, you know, at a distiller, they're actually going and selling a single barrel. So the retailer will go and buy barrel 327 and barrel 327 is going to XYZ liquor store and, and that's theirs. And sometimes they'll actually even send the barrel with the palette of cases that it's coming with. Mm. Um, so we did, a, we did a lot of barrel picks. Um, last year. And that's actually turned into something that we think is going to continue to be a big piece of business for us going forward. Cody, why? What what made that what, what made that shift work that maybe hadn't or it hadn't worked before? Well, so there's there's a couple things there. One, you've got to have the demand from from we call them accounts, but from the retailers, right? It's got to be something that they're looking for. Um, and I think there was a sense that you know, hey, if I get this really esoteric barrel, um, which, you know, could be 60 cases, you know, 40 to 60 cases of product. Um, and if it doesn't resonate with consumers, now I'm stuck with, you know, maybe 50 cases or 37 cases of something. And what do I do with this now? Um, what we saw last year was that, I mean, basically, bourbon didn't slow down at all, even through the summer months, which was very unusual and, and kind of shocking. And I think a lot of the retailers responded to that and said, well, if people are just going to keep buying whiskey, and this is really going to be a big driver, let's go out there. Let's let's try to find something unique, find something different. Um, so I think that that was a big component of it was a response from the consumers and response from, from the retailers. And then, you know, from a logistics standpoint, for us, it's really attractive because it's a larger order. Um, we're shipping, you know, an entire pallet as opposed to shipping some smaller shipments. Um, we can dive into a little bit about when we would ship those those smaller cases, but you know, it's nice. It's a pallet with the barrel on it, and we can just send that out kind of as one full unit to that given retailer. And who is the retailer in this case for you? Like what, what, who, who is, who's actually selling this? Cause I think we got the impression a lot of, in a lot of cases, everybody was closed. So where were they, they were, were they, you know, were they essential? Was it target? I mean, so who, who was, who was selling these? Yeah. So this depended state by state. Um, but I know in California, in Florida, in New York, 
and Illinois. I know at least in those four markets, I would I would have to check for other states, but at least in those four, liquor stores were deemed an essential business. So that's that's worth a good laugh, if nothing else. Um, but uh, you know, so they actually were staying open during this time. And then we also had grocery chains. Now, with barrel picks, you you typically don't see those happening for for grocery stores. Sometimes you might have more like a like a regional grocer that might do a barrel pick at one location. But a lot of times the barrel picks are coming into an independent liquor store. Um, it's a family owned um, establishment. Th- those are the folks who are going to be doing these, this type of business. What about some of the larger, you know, we were down in Texas uh, last weekend and of course they've got some big grocery store size liquor stores. Yeah. Is that, is that another, would that be kind of be another location where people are coming in? They may know the staff there. They're taking, we did, we grabbed somebody who looked like they knew what they're talking about and said, Hey, what do you got? We're here. We're out of town. Is it exactly. that kind of is it that kind of deal that that's making that kind of thing work? And then they can recommend, hey, we've got this special barrel because I think people had they were looking for something different, right? During yeah. the during the pandemic, is that what you saw? Yeah, that's what was. I mean, look, so much of our you know someone's day is I wake up, I go to my office, I sit in front of my computer. I think we found a lot of people were just dying for any kind of variety. I mean, just please, I'll just anything that kind of can break up the monotony of the day here. I think that that really was how a lot of folks were feeling there. Um, so it, yeah, it was, it's been a really successful piece of the business now for us. Um, and yes, in California and a lot of these other States, that's, that's the scenario. It's these larger independents that are going to be able to support this kind of thing. Um, we do have the occasional smaller bottle shop that maybe maybe like two smaller bottle shops will like split. They'll say, hey, you know, we can't take all 40 cases, but we can take 20 cases. And, um, you know, we kind of you talked about the three sources, right? Kind of the on-prem bars. Then you have the middle tier, which is like the the restaurants. And then you have like the e or sorry, the middle is like your liquor stores, your grocery stores. And then you have your kind of your e side of things. So for that middle kind of tier for liquor stores, grocery stores to from the outsider's perspective, it feel like it just took off like sales were through the roof. Is that true? Or was that just kind of a perception from all of us being home? Cause everyone's taking Instagram photos of them day drinking all day. And we just, just it seemed like people were drinking more. Like were the numbers actually in alignment with, you know, being high last year? No, there's, there's definitely a, an element of truth to that. So, um, if you look at overall volume, so if you look at adding up on-prem, off-prem, e-prem, and you kind of look at what the overall volume was, um, overall volume was up. Um, it wasn't up by much, um, and it depends on the month that you look at. So as we got towards the end of the year, October, November, December last year, there it started to actually fall below what we would normally see for kind of total volume. Um but there were definitely, you know, into, uh, you know, May and June, for example, people were buying more booze than than they historically had. Um, now, again, uh, from because it was really just concentrated on the liquor stores, the grocery stores. I think it felt that way. It felt like, wow, everyone is just drinking all the time right now. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> you know, but you had a lot of folks who normally maybe they would go and grab a beer with their buddies after work on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. And that wasn't happening. So that was getting supplemented in a lot of cases in this off-premise channel. So 
you know, now people are looking at the numbers they're like, well, year on year off premise is really lagging behind. It's like, well, yeah, of course now they're, you know, they just had, you know, the entire half of the, half of the consumption model was, wasn't really online at all. So um, I think things will, you know, quote unquote, normalize a little bit this year. And then we'll, we'll get back on track a little bit. I will say that the e-premise side of the business that that changed a lot and i think that that you know has been a kind of a smaller portion of the industry but over these coming years we're just going to see that continue to grow Co- cody blow that out a little bit cuz i'm i'm not sure i fully understand when we talk about the east the east side of things can you can you give us a little background on that i agree i didn't even know that existed for yeah, the sure. side yeah, just let's <laughs> just talk about it yeah so i can so i can name a couple things and i can explain a couple things so um if you've ever gone to a distiller's page, and I'm specifically going to talk about distilled spirits now, um, the laws around beer and wine are different and favor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So favor their ability to actually send product direct to consumer. So for example, if I you know was here in the uh, Santa Cruz mountains or I was in a winery up in Napa, my ability to send product direct to consumer is very different from a distiller who by and large cannot do that. Um, but that winery can actually send products, you know, could send a case to consumers across state lines, not something you can do with distilled spirits. And, and so, that's, that's prohibition. Still, That's still hangover from the prohibition era, right? Here in the United States. That's hangover from it's 1933. Yeah. We need tax revenue. Right. We're going to legalize alcohol. And here's this system we're going to put together. And I mean, truthfully for... I'll call it, you know, 60 or 70 years till about 2000. I mean, this, this worked. I mean, the reality is the system did work and it eliminated a lot of the pre-prohibition issues that, that were in place. Now, where it has struggled is since this little thing called the internet came along, which, you know, kind of upended a whole bunch of different industries. So that's, that's a, that's a piece of it. Um, when we talk about e-premise and who we sell to, um, a couple of names that I can throw out there that you may or may not have heard of. So Flaviar would be one. Taster's Club is another. Cask and Barrel is kind of a, a separate opportunity. We'll talk about that. Like Speakeasy Co. is another company that's playing in this space. Um, Caskers, uh, Cask Cartel. Uh, so a lot of these are subscription-based clubs where you as a consumer are subscribing to, from a legal standpoint, what is a marketing company? And this marketing company works with retailers in all these different states to send you bottles. And that could be a spirit of the month. So it could vary, you know, between a bunch of different spirits, could be a whiskey of the month, and it's specifically focused on whiskey. Or if you actually go and look at Flaviar, that's probably, I think what they're doing is one of the most interesting things that's out there right now. They have these, you know, pretty high quality glass 50 ml vials. And you can actually taste test three 50 mLs of different product. And then if you're interested, actually buy the 750 of the product from there. So there's, again, there's a lot of different scenarios around what this looks like. So that, that piece of it is, I would say one. The second one that I'll highlight is if you ever go to, uh, you know, home gadget geeks, uh, distillery when, when that gets opened up the, the, the home gadget geek bourbon, right? Um, that, that would be so great. By the way, you just made my day. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's keep talking. Let's talk. I know, I know <laughs> yeah. a couple of people. I know a okay. couple of people. Um, 
so what what that what that would look like is you'd have you know your homepage or about page, but you might have a shop page. Well, you know, if we're selling socks, your shop page can just link to Shopify, or you can kind of own that shop page, and it's no big deal. In the alcohol industry, again, going back to a lot of the regulations around the three tier system, you cannot have a shop page where consumers are placing orders directly with you. What you can have is a marketing company who has branded a shop page that looks very similar to your website. So similar that unless a consumer was really paying attention to the URL, they, they wouldn't even realize they were on a different page and on a different site. And that will allow them to place an order. That order to the consumer looks like it's going to Home Gadget Geeks, but it's not. The order is going to a liquor store in their area And then that liquor store is going to be fulfilling that order for them. And so that bottle has now gone from you, Home Gadget Geeks Distillery. It's gone through a distributor like LibDib. It's now gone to a retailer and that retailer is now fulfilling it. But the consumer experience is much more seamless. They're not seeing that whole back end. Yeah, it it kind of pulls together the marketplace locally in a Mm -hmm. way that allows, that works within the law, Mm -hmm. right? So not, and then, uh, connecting the liquor store to the individual, which exactly. traditionally even liquor stores didn't really take advantage of the internet in that kind of way, right? Do you, do you feel like the average the average liquor can yeah the average liquor store never really sold online very well, did they? That it's this? it's a it's a great point, and I would say they didn't. They they yeah. largely didn't. Part of that there's some unique um, you know laws kind of state by state around this. So um, I'll pick on Colorado, for example. Colorado has a law where uh, if you are a uh, off-premise liquor store, you can only deliver within a certain radius. And I think it's only, you know, within like maybe a mile or two of your location can you actually deliver. So, you know, if you're in Denver, okay, maybe you can cover portions of Denver. But if you're in, I mean, even in, you know, Boulder or if you're in Fort Collins or, you know, you're a liquor store in Longmont, you're not going to be able to really hit that many people because, you know, we start to get a little bit more spread out. So it isn't something that I think historically a lot of liquor stores focused on. I think last year was a great opportunity for them to shift into that. We saw a lot of them really start to open up their own barrel programs that they were doing, consumer tasting clubs that they were doing, kind of running through these liquor stores to be able to drive online traffic and interest. Well, I'm sure putting a little bit of a home gadget geeks, you know, twist on it, they've got to love any sort of extra drive they can get to online orders just from the data and demographics information they get from customers, right? Because it's really hard to track who's going into liquor stores all across the country and buying your product. But once you start getting direct orders, even though it's not going to your, that marketing can turn it, they know where that order came from. They can gather some data. I mean, that's got to be changing the game a little bit for some of these people who didn't have access to that kind of data before. Yeah, changes the game for the liquor store, and it also changes the game for the brand. Um, it it is not uncommon. It's something that we heard from from folks all the time. Hey, I am signed up with this you know more traditional distributor. I have no idea where my product's actually being sold. Like right. I get this depletion report, but it's lagging sometimes a month or two months or th- you know I get it quarterly, so it's sort of like you know this three month lag on where's my product actually being sold. Who, who are these consumers that are going in? What price point is the retailer setting on my product for this? 
So with the online side, you can get that data to your point a lot quicker. And that I think is really going to change the game around how quickly we're able to see new spirits brands come into the market and really get started. Yeah. To be honest, I hadn't really thought about industries that haven't had access to that data for this long. We just take it for granted that every single you know, retailer has access to all, you know, all that kind of data, right? The yeah. metrics. You forget that some of these who have been restricted from selling online, uh, that's, that's, that's new to them. And I'm sure they're only starting now to realize how to use that up-to-date data. Mm-hmm. Co- Cody, when we think about a company like Jim Beam or Jack Daniels at the gigantic level, right? They would probably even have less uh, no, or, 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 or maybe that's different. They're selling in grocery stores. Just, I mean, they have distributors, but do they, were they lacking? And then and let me, let me tag on to that. There's in the cigar industry, there has been mm-hmm. a direct consumer model that has taken place. And now these big brands can get some of that data. Is that happening in the spirit world too, where now I'm, I, I maybe can get Jack Daniels direct and order it that way. I'm not saying I do because <laughs> I, I never would, right. but just as an example, is that, is that happening as well? So it's a great question. It's not a piece of the business that LibDib that we see, that I see kind of day-to-day. We're focused on small to medium-sized wineries and distilleries. A brand like a Jack Daniels, they are so they are such a well-oiled machine to operate within the guardrails that have been set up that any sort of deviation for them is almost it's just it it completely throws off everything that they're doing. So are there opportunities for them to start to dip their toes into the water on this? I think, I think, yes. Um, I think it's going to have to be someone at Brown Foreman who owns Jack Daniels. That's going to need to come in and and really have a vision for what is this going to look like and how do we realistically roll this out? Um, You know, a brand like that certainly could take advantage, but again, they're, they're so, um, they're so focused on kind of the way the system is currently operating. Yeah. It's going to be real. I mean, it's, you're turning the Titanic with something like that. Well, it's a system that's worked and it's right. working. I think it probably still continue to work during the, during the pandemic. And there's probably a lot of thoughts of like, maybe we, we don't need that. There were some Cody, there were some things that changed from a delivery mechanism. There were some new things that were allowed. I, I don't know anything about them. I'm hoping you do. What changed? And is that, is that because all of a sudden you could get delivery? Yeah. (laughs) Right. So what was it that changed? And is it, is it going to stay around? Is that kind of stuff going to be allowed to continue to to go on post pandemic? There's a few things that changed. So delivery opened up across a lot of different states. Um, Probably from a tech standpoint, most notably Drizzly was acquired by Uber. Um, So for those who don't know, Drizzly is an alcohol delivery app. It was oftentimes referred to as Uber for alcohol. So it was sort of a natural progression. They basically had gotten to the point where um, they needed someone like an Uber to come in and provide additional capital for them to be able to scale. Um, They had, you know, gone out on their own and um, I've, I've spoken with the founders there, you know, they they had done a really, I think, phenomenal job working within the three-tier system and allowing um, allowing this kind of last leg delivery from the retailer to the consumer. Where I think um, where I think they struggled was just in how much they were able to scale, number one. And number two, and the founders will tell you this, e- even up until last year and even to this day, 
their number one issue was people not knowing that it was legal for them to order alcohol online and that they could have it delivered. It was their number one issue. They had multiple blog posts about it every month. They were just constantly hammering this on. You can do this. Yes, it's legal. Yes, it's legal. Yes, it's legal. And it was just something that it's been so ingrained, I think, in the psyche for a lot of people that, well, I have to go to the store and I have to, you know, buy it this way. And, you know, that, that was a hurdle for them. They really had to work and overcome. So that piece of it has certainly changed home delivery for the off premise. The other thing that changed, which was opened up largely to try and help the bars and restaurants, uh, was cocktails to go. Um, again, something that varied state by state looked a little bit different depending on what market you were in, you know, in Louisiana, notably they had this already and they actually turned it off for a little bit because they wanted to try and keep people from gathering in big crowds. So they were trying to get it, get away from that. Um, that I think without a doubt is going to continue. Um, what that will look like. I think is going to be a little bit different in terms of what's offered. I think that's where something like the hard seltzers, right? So uh, tequila seltzer that we were talking about before we, uh, we hopped on here, you know, those kinds of things, I think we'll see a really big play in something like a small Mexican restaurant that's looking to have something easy that they can add onto the order, right? It's not necessarily, that I'm having to make a margarita and then put it in a plastic cup and send you along on your way with that. But if I've got something kind of just ready to go, I can just add into the order and it's a, you know, eight to $10 ring that, that adds to your tacos and quesadilla. Awesome. Great. I'm all, I'm all for that. So I think there's a pretty interesting business opportunity and um, there's been a lot of innovation on that side as well with, with the RTD space. And it, I think it ties into this last leg kind of delivery component as well. I think that one, when you talk about, you know, different regions of the country, so, you know, at least here in Nebraska, I feel like the carry out margaritas and all that stuff was a, was big over, over COVID. You know, I know a lot of the the Mexican restaurants, especially were really good at that. Um, you know, at least in the circle that I've run in Drizzly, like that concept, when you said they still have to hammer home that it's legal, uh, I think that's still a struggle here, right? I think like it's slowly, I don't know if it's maybe just the different groups, um, different regions that kind of take it on faster or slower. Jim, I don't know. I mean, do you Drizzly wise and like delivery to your home of alcohol? Uh, whereas, you know, I, so I think we both had margaritas to go at some point, you know, during COVID from different restaurants around here, but the drizzly thing, have you seen that around Omaha a lot? I have not. I have not. I, Cody, I remember, I think you mentioned it on one of your podcasts on shots of history and, and, and I think you even did a special episode when that happened or I did. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about that. And I remember thinking, Hmm. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Like, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, that would be a problem. The, the kind of the, the educating the consumer piece could have been right. Cody, do you feel like the, the, now that the, we're on the backside, I think of the pandemic, let's hope so. And do you think those cocktails to go will go away? I mean, even though people can do them, mm-hmm. The experience of a cocktail, and then one of the things I really like about you is that you're a cocktail guy. Like you love your cocktails, and we do too here at the Collison House. So it's pretty great. Are, the, are those cocktails to go going to stay? Even if they can stay, are restaurants still going to sell them? Like, will it still be a thing? I think they will. Um, I think that there's been enough demand for them that um, that that we'll see them stick around. 
do I think it will be as big as it was during during COVID? Now, this is one man's perspective. Um, I don't. I think there's going to be a little bit of a pullback. Um, but I still think you're going to see people who, you know, they're getting, you know, a burrito in the quesadilla to go and they're going to get a margarita to go with it. Um, and, you know, we've in Texas, again, before COVID, the laws were more relaxed. They were able to do this. So I think it's something that we'll continue to see moving forward. The one question, okay, so going back to, you have me intrigued. You were talking about kind of this subscription model, right? Yeah. Especially for spirits. So yes. you have these, you know, boxes. I think, you know, we've seen this in every single industry where you can get a subscription box. And, you know, my take on these from a, I'm a non-marketing guy, right? Um, uh, my always big take is it provides a really good opportunity for maybe a smaller brand company to get into one of these subscription boxes and kind of get discovered by a group of people, right? It's, um, Ooh, if you're a part of a wine club, it's, Ooh, man, I really liked last month's so let's, let's go order a box of that. Right. Yeah. And then let's, let's go do that. Or, you know, even there's like gadget ones, there's everything dog brands. And I think people find something and they like it and they continue to buy it. So what is, I guess, the next phase for the customer that these spirit companies want you to take? Because I'm imagining you mentioned it's really hard to do direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. So if I do the subscription box, I find that tequila that you have in your hand, it's from California. And then it's like, well, now what do I do? Right. Because like I, I found it, I love it. You know, is the next phase to try and find more of a way to get this directly into my hands when I want it? You know, if I can't go to my local liquor store and find it, that's got to be a challenge because those boxes are, are nationwide. There's probably not any geographic restrictions. But yet the distribution is going to be maybe a little bit limited, right? Um, Especially on spirits. Yeah. And so this is another interesting part of kind of the legal angle with all of this is that the ability for a distiller or an importer to ship to you across state lines is very limited. There are currently more flexible regulations around retailers being able to ship to you across state lines. So for example, Oh, really? So there is a difference there, which there is a like difference. A, the Lucas liquors of the world and, and the actual distiller. Okay. Correct. So, so the retailer itself could potentially ship to you and, you know, maybe it's not kosher to say this. We, we just, we know for a fact that there are States that um, on paper don't allow these kinds of shipments where this is happening, um, where, where shipments are going in and um, you know, there are other states, like I know for a fact, California and Florida, for example, have reciprocity. So um, you can have a Florida retailer ship product to a California consumer. Um, and I know this, my mom actually had this done. I'm going to out her on this one. Um, she wanted to make some lemon cello. And uh, this was during the pandemic. She couldn't find Everclear anywhere. She needed like high proof Everclear to be able to use as the base of this lemon cello there's a retailer down in Florida who had it and was able to send her the handful of bottles that she needed. So the retailer could do that, even if the distributor or the supplier of the product cannot. So there was actually a case last year um, around uh, was the state of Tennessee versus somebody. I'm forgetting who the, who the versus was. It wasn't versus the US, but it was, it was another group. Um, and there was, there was a legal hearing about this around what are the rights of a retailer to be able to send across state lines. Um, so it's, it's an evolving space right now, um, what that's going to look like. 
And then also right now, Discus, which is the distilled uh, distilled spirits or distilled Institute council of the United States or distillers. Inst- I'm going to butcher that. I'm so sorry for my friends at Discus. No, I'm bu- no, bu- no. butchering your acronym. Close enough. Close enough. Yeah. It's, it's the body of distillers that are going and, you know, kind of advocating for them. They are looking to have similar, um, you know, kind of open rules the same way that wineries do in their ability to kind of ship. And, you know, again, it's, it's something where, you know, and I think Mike, you, you mentioned this earlier, like, man, there's all these spirits brands popping up. Like they're just, yeah. they're everywhere. It seems like they just keep coming. Um, that is something that the wine industry really felt when they opened up the ability to ship direct to consumer was, oh, wow, this just got a lot more competitive overnight, like in a really big way. So it's, it is a bit of a double-edged sword, you know, yes, it's a little bit harder to get in, but if you get in now, you can get a little bit more of a rhythm going with your product. Um, if you've got more of the setup that the wineries have right now, I would say you're just always going to be constantly fighting, uh, this churn. Um, you know, a lot of times in, you know, maybe kind of curious to see what your guys' thoughts are on this. I know for wine, I'll maybe try one brand and then the next bottle of wine that I'm trying is going to be from another part of the country, another part of that region. I'm sort of bouncing from winery to winery. When you look at spirits, historically, it's been, I'm a Jack drinker, right? I drink absolute, I drink beef eater, right? Like I'm, you've got kind of these folks who are honed in on the specific brands. There's a little bit more loyalty there and opening this up is, is just going to kind of further allow people to try these different unique products that are coming into the market. And so I think some of these, some of these bigger suppliers, I think will benefit in some ways, but I think it will definitely open up the, uh, maybe not overnight a big competitor, but a lot of the sort of nibbling at the heels of yeah. a brand like a Jack Daniels. Seems like a win-win for the consumer though. It seems like, you know, more competition probably drives prices down a little bit, more variation, right? I don't know. It, it, it could affect quality, I'm sure, at some point or, or distribution. Um, yeah. But, you know, for the, for the consumer, it doesn't seem at first blush like it would be too bad. But don't yeah. like that. That's kind of cyclical in nature, right? I mean, you get more competitors, prices come down, not everybody survives. You get a few brands that, that go cutthroat, make it. Then there's a few left. They become the mega brands. Their prices go up. That opens up the cycle for the new ones to come in and undercut them. It's kind of this constant cycle that we're going through um, on those prices. Cody, when you when you said uh, opens up competition, and I'm thinking about spirits trailing beer in this in this because you know the craft beer movement and the the kind of the opening of that really challenged. I'm a Bud guy or I'm a Coors guy or I'm a Miller guy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially here in the United States. Now you're not hearing that. I mean, we kind of buy beer. I, I, Mike, I'm, I buy beer like you buy wine. I kind of go in like, you know, uh, what looks good or what's on sale that looks good, right? Type deal. And so um, I think maybe spirits are coming up on that same where all of a sudden now with the with the having so many different options for I mean this summer alone I must have tried 20 different bourbons like it was yeah. just and 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 we talked about what's funny is you know my kids are your age and Mike too and 
so I would, I'd be talking to the kids like, Oh, you got to try this. Right. So we try that. And, and I just, so now I've got a bunch of, if you ask me, I'm still an, a Jefferson's guy. Like that's my, still my all time favorite, my default. That's what I go with. That's a good one. I love the whole line. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the thing works for me, but that doesn't mean I'm not buying old Forester for certain occasions. Doesn't mean I'm, you know, that there are, you know, we had a Woodford in there from time to time. We, you know, we, we, um, we try different bourbons. So is that consistent? Is, is my view of, of spirits consistent? Is that starting to happen in that space as well, where everybody's getting a little more broad? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think part of this is also a little generational. Um, certainly the millennial and I, I think the oldest Gen Zs are 24 ish, something like that. So they're, you know, just now coming of legal drinking age. Yeah. yeah. Um, those drinking patterns and how quickly I would say they deviate away from just buying your comfort brands, you know, the, the large brands that folks know that is really going to drive what the innovation looks like on this quite a bit as well. Um, and I, I, I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see somewhat similar to what, you know, craft beer did to the kind of more traditional established beer industry. We've seen that with wine and and we're going to see it with spirits coming forward too. I think it's, it's, it's an apt analogy. Well, look, look what Jim Beam has done to innovate on their, on their product. Now you have every flavor of Jim Beam um, imaginal, um, you know, that you can imagine. And it's just, it, it's, we're even seeing some of the bigger ones start to innovate thinking, okay, what is, you know, I've got an apple and a cherry and I need to have a, a you know, a vanilla in there and some, you know, a whole bunch of other flavors. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, even beer start to become, well, we get into the seltzers. Get, you know, uh, uh, start. It's it's crazy the, the the selection we have right now. That's a whole other rabbit hole that we yeah. can go down with seltzers. Yeah. Um, is that gonna is that gonna last, Cody? Is yeah. the seltzer thing gonna is it is it here to stay? It's here to stay. I don't know. I can, you know you guys can tell me about cryptocurrency. I can tell you that <laughs> seltzers and can can cocktails they are here yeah. to stay for sure, a hundred percent. And for for a few reasons. Um, the biggest, I think, just being that this is something where the larger brands can get volume fast. And there's already been a bill introduced to have spirits and wine that are sold in an RTD can taxed at the same rate that a malt-based um, hard seltzer is taxed at. So just without getting into all the details, there's your tax rate on, on beer and malt-based products. You've got a tax rate for wine and wine-fermented products. And then you have a tax rate on distilled spirits. Distilled spirits are taxed at the highest rate. If this ends up going through and they're able to have the same functional federal state excise tax rates as... Um, as these malt-based hard seltzers, that 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 will be what these brands prioritize. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to see, um, you know, a, a whiskey sour RTD. You're going to see a tequila soda, tequila lime, tequila grapefruit. Um, th these things are going to become very, very prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there is also in line with this this real 
desire again driven by probably the the younger younger millennials gen z age range this guy down here that that guy <laughs> right there that one those folks are really looking for a product where they can drink and still feel healthy and they can drink and feel like well it's not that bad it's only 100 calories you know there's there's that element and that is now become as where that might have been more of a, a niche within the market that is now more of a widespread um attitude that I, that i think folks are are adopting so yeah 100% this is this is here to stay uh very bullish on on seltzers and then canned rtds there's a lot of really interesting things coming onto the market and that you would say those are canned cocktails right was that what you would say yeah so so there's seltzers uh which are typically going to be uh, a malt base uh, you can also have a spirits-based RTD, um, and RTD, again, stands for ready-to-drink. So you, technically, a can of Coke is an RTD. We don't normally talk about it that way, but anything that's in a can like that is an RTD. Um, so you'll see probably these, um, like wine, for example, like wine in a can, wine in an RTD. I think you'll continue to see this. And then we're going to start to see kind of these probably simple cocktails. You might see like an old-fashioned, a Manhattan and there's already some of those products out there that are in a 750 format mm-hmm. that, you know, are presented that way. So I, I think that we're just going to continue to see this go into kind of the single serve on the go um, format for folks. I, it's it's not going anywhere. I remember the first time I tried one of those, I was actually down in Kansas City at my parents' house and Boulevard has their fling series. So they have their fling mojito, they have a, a mule, they have a margarita in all those cans, right? The the RTD cans. And, you know, it was kind of an interesting way that like, you know, I it had been a while since I had a mule, couldn't remember if I liked them. Now, not the way like, oh, this is a good mule, but just like, you know, taste it. And I was like, wow, okay, not bad, number one. And it's super convenient, right? pack them up. We took them out when we went to a theater on the park thing or on the lawn where you can kind of sit out and, and you pack a cooler and you watch some music, things like that. And it's just so easy. And especially I think for people who are already into those types of drinks, I'm a beer and wine guy. Um, mm-hmm. so really didn't, you know, but for people who are into that and like, Oh man, a nice, easy way. I agree. I saw that. I'm like, this is, this has got to be massive. And, and Mike, that's a great point, right? Like beer kind of had a corner on this market because they were, you know, historically, they've been the ones who have been canning things. Their yeah. product came in a can, came in a six pack or, you know, maybe a variety pack, a four pack or something of that nature. But really, you didn't see a lot of canned wines. You didn't see a lot of canned spirits at all. So beer yeah. has really capitalized on this. And, um, you know, I know a couple of brands right now who are talking to uh, large concert venues. They're talking to Major League Baseball parks. Right. I mean, you know, you think about all of these places where beer is kind of the canned thing that you would think to go to. And all of a sudden there's an opportunity now that it could be beer or you could have this other uh, this other option. So, yeah. Um, yeah, if I was if I was placing bets, this is this is an area I'd, I'd expect to see some growth. I think of like tailgating, right? I'm thinking of all the events where you just, you pack a cooler, it's quick and easy and you want enough variation for everyone in your party. So you're not going to pack 12 big, you know, bottles of liquor. You might, if you have the room, but if you're trying to, if you're on the go tailgate in small space, um, you know, pack a bunch of these cans, easy to go, right? You got variety. 
ease. You got the, you don't have the glass bottles clinking around. <laughs> so I was going to say, it makes it easy. D- d- depends on the kind of tailgate you're having as to whether or not you're bringing the, the 12 full size <laughs> handles, but you know, very true. Very true. Um, Cody, it's, I, I think there is also a desire. The younger generation likes the more cocktail experience. Uh, it's just a different, it's, it's different than just a beer or mm-hmm. just, a you know, get, you know, just have a, you know, have a whiskey neat. It's a different, it's kind of a different kind of experience. One of the things I've appreciated uh, over, I think, 2019 and 2020 on Shots of History, you spent a bunch of time talking to bartenders mm-hmm. and you guys talked cocktails. That was one of the reasons I kept listening um, was because I just, I just really love cocktails. What's the state of the cocktail industry as we think, you know, did it, did COVID decimate it? Are we, are we, are we coming back when we head back into bars? Are we going to see, there had been a movement towards really good custom cocktails right before COVID hit, right? I mean, we were getting some signature drinks that you could only get in certain places. We had people developing their own custom cocktails that they were known for, right? Is that going to come back? Was that damaged in any way? Talk a little bit about the cocktail space. Yeah, um, it it was damaged. Um, And you know, go, going back to what, you know, kind of March and April looks like last year, um, you know, about a year ago. I mean, it, you know, I was getting calls from, you know, brand ambassadors who were saying, you know, Hey, I need you to, I need you to cancel the order to, to this bar, this restaurant. I just drove by there. And I mean, they just, they're, they're basically just selling everything for parts. Like they're selling the sink, they're selling the fridge. They're just trying to get out the door so they can make one more month's rent payment. And, you know, that, I mean, that, that was the situation for some of these spots. Um, you know, for, I think most folks know it's maybe not a super high margin business. Right. But I mean, if you're operating at, you know, 10% or 12%, that's like, you're, you're doing good. Right. I mean, a lot of bars and restaurants are, you know, operating on very, very thin margins. And so losing two, three months worth of, of revenue was, was devastating to, to a lot of folks. Um, so definitely there's been, unfortunately, a lot of uh, bars and restaurants that have had to close during this time. And there's been a few kind of historic spots. Uh, I'm thinking of a couple in New York City that that had to close. Um, and you mentioned, you know, on my podcast just recently, I was talking to some bartenders. Um, you know, Souther Teague had, you know, expanded from just Amoria Margo, which is just just an iconic spot in in New York. It used to be a uh, a storage closet as part of another restaurant. And he sort of revamped it and turned it into a bar. So it's a like 240 square feet. Um, it's this tiny little space. It's like the super intimate thing, right? Which of course, now you think of a small intimate space. That's maybe not the first place that people are going to want to go. Um, and so he had actually expanded from Amoria Margot to having five different locations around New York. And he's back to just having Amoria Margot. The other four um, have shuttered. And the the just heartbreaking story that he, you know, him and, and many other bartenders have echoed and bar managers and bar owners have echoed, uh, you know, was going to the landlord and saying, can we work something out? Can we extend the lease? Can I get some forgiveness now? And we'll extend the lease. And, um, you know, many landlords just saying, I'm not in the business of not collecting rent. And Souther's point was, well, if you're like, if you do this, I'm not in business. You will not collect anything from me if this is how this plays out. Um, 
So I think that, uh, you know, Souther and then Kevin, who was also on that podcast, I'll give him a shout out. Kevin Diedrich, who um, had had one of my favorite spots in San Francisco. Uh, you know, they, they both pointed out that there's, th- this is not a reopening. Like it is a grand opening. And uh, they they made the joke, you know, Eater a lot of times will say, oh, the top 10 bars that are coming online in, you know, July or March or August. And it's like all these little red dots. And their their joke was, well, what are you just going to have one big red dot for the entire city of San Francisco, city of New York? Um, and and it's a it's a good point, right? I mean, this is this is a grand opening again for these guys. I mean, are people going to go back to the place they went to before COVID? Or are they going to look to try a new spot? Because there has been some new investment in this space, right? People have been able to get really phenomenally set up, um, you know, hospitality spaces at a discount. And there have been some more institutional folks who've gone in and look, it's, it's, they have every right. They've, they've got the funds to do so. And they're able to capitalize on this opportunity. Um, It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what, what this looks like for a lot of the smaller players, um, craft cocktails are not going anywhere. Uh, you're, I think you're still going to be able to go in and, and see that, you know, this isn't like what we had where we went from world war one into prohibition and, you know, it sort of decimated like a generation of great bartenders. Um, is this a step back and, a and, a you know, a kick in the teeth? Absolutely. Absolutely. It has been. Um, you know, and it's, uh, so just for me personally, as a PSA, you know, I'm going out and trying to support the bars and restaurants that are just kind of locally here in my area. Um, I would encourage folks to do the same. Uh, you know, I, I think the thing that gives me optimism about where this is headed is that at the end of the day, we are still social creatures. We want to go out and be with people and, um, interact with other people. And we also seek new, interesting experiences, something that we can't get every day. And the great bars that I know are the bars that deliver not only a great drink, but also have created a space that is inviting and unique. And you know, you walk in and you're you're transported in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think that those spaces will still exist. And so um you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to recover, but I have, I have no delusions. This is not going to be an, an overnight, you know, bounce back. It's, it's definitely going to be a process now. Do you, do you so. think we'll see, um, you know, there was just an explosion of craft and custom cocktails being made right before this happened. Do you think that'll just slowly work its way back in or will it take a bunch of time for that to kind of come back? Yeah, no, I think, um, I think you'll hopefully by the end of the year, that'll, oh, okay. that'll come back. Okay. Um, that's, yeah. that's my hope. I think initially when a lot of these bars and it, it might be that 2022 is really where we get back into the swing of that. Um, again, it was a kick in the teeth, but the culture is still there. It's alive and well. <clears throat> so, um, you need another I, drink. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I think that there's, uh, I, I think that a lot of the bars and restaurants when they first open are going to be very cost sensitive mm-hmm. and really um, looking at what their bottom line 
is. So to that end, they will probably go towards the comfort brands, the brands that are able to sell in bulk um, and, and really kind of use that to kind of get the the ball rolling again and be able to kind of get back up on their feet. Um, as that sort of proves itself out, I think we'll start to see, yeah, sure, we can buy a case of this, you know, uh, dark cherry liqueur and kind of test around with that, right? And then those kind, the ability to start to play around with this a little bit more. I think we'll come back. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering we're kind of wondering. I said interesting and wondering in the same in the same word. Kind of uh, wondering there is going to be such a high demand for travel this summer. Like I'm already hearing, you know, airlines are are starting to ramp up seriously thinking, okay, we have to get ready. Um it's tough to find a bed and breakfast on the East Coast. Um, some part of it is because some of them closed. But the other part is hotels have such availability, but that are filling up fast like they are. Mm. And I'm kind of wondering if we may see this explosion in the September timeframe of all of a sudden, you know, everybody just, you know, kind of like what we're seeing with lumber, where, you know, the price of lumber right now is three times what it should be. But I'm kind of wondering if we're going to see that in travel hospitality and then in this space as well have we have you or have we seen any inflation in the in the uh, in this market the beer spirits wine have things have prices gone up during this time or have they gone down yeah um i think they've they've been able to stay pretty much consistent um there were some there i'll, I'll give you a sense on there are some interesting issues and this actually ties into a, a le- another legal ruling that has happened over this last period of time um so a brand like Jack Daniels, Jose Cuervo, Beefeater Gin, right? They sell to consumers. What you and I, uh, what we all see when we go to the store is a 750 format, 750 milliliters. Well, the bars and restaurants for these brands that are really moving constantly, they do not buy 750s. They buy liters, uh, mm-hmm. particularly with vodka. Um, they just It's additional pour for them. Um, it's a single bottle that they use. Like it just, it makes economic sense to have these leaders. Well, when all of a sudden there was no ability to sell leaders and there was this tremendous demand for 750, uh, format, the price of glass and the availability of glass was mm. all sorts of messed up. <laughs> so there was, there was at the beginning of, of all this, definitely a real issue of like, okay, we need glass now and we have no idea where we're going to get this glass from. So that was, that was, I would say would be our lumber scenario was yeah. on the glass front um, where this ties in on the legal side and where this gets really interesting. So the, uh, the TTB, which is the governing body that oversees a bunch of random things, but they also oversee alcohol. Um, they, this earlier this year, um, have opened up the ability for a 700 ml format to be sold in the US. Now, why is that a big deal? Yeah. That's a big deal because the 700 ml format is the standard in Europe, it's the standard in Asia. It's the standard in, you know, down in Australia. It's the standard in most of the world. It's really the U.S. and India are the only two countries that work off of a 750. So if, you know, our brand is, you know, a brand is starting to do well, Home Gadget Geeks Distillery wants to go abroad, right? It, you know, it would have been, hey, we've got our, our, we've got our one bottling line and all of our machinery. 
geared up for 750 and now we got to you know reset it recalibrate everything put on the different bottles the 700 bottles that are going to go overseas well now if i just can have 700 and have this one consistent format for the world um that that is i think a scenario that we're likely to see play out here um and so you mentioned you know prices what if price is done that's where i think you know consumers are going to get you know be maybe be a little bit frustrated to see that the price of a 700 will stay consistent mm. as it mm-hmm. was when it was a 750. But mm-hmm. I, I know that some of the bigger guys are looking to do this um, to make the move to 700 and just streamline the glass contracts that they have and the bottling productions and everything. It just, and make it kind of a global standard of a 700. I always love hearing the supply chain you know, issues or improvements on any industry, like things you don't even think about, right. That switching down to a 700 could streamline that so much just because of international and everything. That's, that's, that's interesting. And it's, it's, it's also funny that they're going to bring that, you know, the volume down to 700, but keep that price the same. I well, swear candy. I swear when I was a kid, candy bars were bigger and now they're yeah. smaller. I, I yeah. like, so this is not Very the possible. only place where this has no. happened. Um, and everyone's going to be a little many... bit buzzed when they do realize it for the first time. Like, I swear this thing used to be bigger, you know, wasn't this, didn't these do seven fifties, you know, it, um, <laughs> but it, it kind of makes sense. And it could, I mean, it could go the other direction or it could cause a price. There's a price war where there's now economies of scale. So it's less for the manufacturers because they're doing it a little bit cheaper. Someone could decide, Hey, <laughs> I'm going to make a run at cornering this, this change. Yeah. Uh, and so that could ha- it could happen the other way as well. Um, we always kind of think, you know, oh, they're going to keep the change and you're like, well, there's a pretty savvy, this is still a pretty conser- uh, competitive market and they're pretty savvy. Yeah. There was also an aluminum issue here in the United States, right? Around, around that. That was a big we- one. Yeah. That and, was a big one. So and, that that impacted a lot of the distill the the breweries. It also impacted. I know several folks who were trying to launch either a hard seltzer or they were trying to launch an RTD, mm-hmm. and they just couldn't get the aluminum. The you know the guys who were providing all the aluminum contracts were like, "Listen, you know, I'm trying to get aluminum to Anheuser Busch. I am not focused on your small <laughs> RTD right now." Yeah, you, they, they buy fifteen thousand spools of yeah. aluminum. You're needing one. So we're going to, you know, you're going to get that. Is that, has that worked itself out? Are we, do you know, are we, we back to, to a more normal level? Yeah, more or less from what I've seen. Um, I still, every now and then, I think I spend a little bit since I've heard someone struggling to get aluminum. So I think that has more or less worked itself out. Um, and I think the glass thing as well has has worked itself out, and we'll kind of get back onto a normal path there. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard about the glass deal, and you know, aluminum doesn't exist in the United States. We have to import ev- all aluminum that we have here has to be imported into the United States, and so um, it, it, that part made sense. We we um, we buy a lot of uh, caffeine free regular Coke. That is kind of our so. That's what sits in the fridge. And when we're making rum and Cokes at night and some of those kinds of things or whatever, we, we don't, we want Coke, but we don't want caffeine. And so I buy, okay, that was one of the, that was a, 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 you know, a loser in the aluminum wars. Coke stopped making (laughs) caffeine free Coke. You could get it caffeine free diet Coke. You could get diet Coke. You could get Coke. You could get lemon Coke and cherry Coke. You could not, there was not a, 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 a you know a can caffeine of free yeah caffeine free coke just regular caffeine to be had and we finally had to look it up and they were and 
Coke had released a statement and they're like, yeah, we're having trouble. We've shut that. We're having trouble with our aluminum distribution and we're shutting, we shut that line down. Yeah. And that, and that was enough, you know, to, to get them through. But that was like, for us, that was, that's one of our, I mean, rum and Coke is one of our cocktails of choice here at the Collison house. And, and so the kids were, no, you could buy regular Coke and some of those other kinds of things, but it's funny how that, aluminum shortage affected us and we and when we started finding it on the shelves again we were trying to buy like buy it like, yeah. <laughs> trying to buy it up like how many do i buy buy 50 you know? and you're like we don't need that many but but um so caused some interesting like this the the you know, the supply chain shortages that it caused really had an interesting effect uh, not not just at the at restaurants, but all the way down kind of the home levels yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, and I will say just one other bit on the change to a 700 ml that I'm super excited about is I think it will allow smaller brands to grow into the U.S. and also for some of our brands mm. to more quickly and easily mm. grow out into yeah. the rest of the world. They're not going to have to have these additional expenses. Um, in terms of bottling lines and production. So, um, and, you know, selfishly, again, with LibDib, I'm, I'm really excited about that because that means we get to potentially talk to some more interesting and exciting brands coming into the States. Do you, do you deal with direct-to-consumer at all, or are you guys at LibDib just primarily working, uh, you know, B2B? So this is a good question. Okay, so just taking a step back, um, when we take, cause we mentioned the three tier system, but for someone who maybe didn't hear our first conversation, when we talk about the three tier system here in the U S, uh, this is a legal system for how alcohol is sold, where it needs to go from the supplier or the producer to a licensed distributor. And then from that licensed distributor to a retailer. And again, that could be a bar, a restaurant, a liquor store, grocery chain, a hotel, an airport lounge, right? There's all sorts of different, um, you know, skins that 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 uh, last tier can wear. What we, as a licensed wholesaler, licensed distributor, cannot do is sell direct to consumer. So we are only focused, Jim, to your point, on the B two B side of things. Um, do I think in the next five years that could change? Uh, I would not rule it out. Hmm. I think that um, I think that there I think that there's a lot of pieces of the alcohol beverage alcohol space that are being evaluated right now, and what a distributor's role is, kind of where they fit into this whole system is is being reevaluated. And you know what what does this look like? So Brian asks what, a really good question from the chat room on this. He says, do you see a movement towards more unified policies then on alcohol throughout the U.S. or consistencies and mm-hmm. fragmentation of these procedures? Is that kind of what you're foreshadowing here a little bit, Cody? Yeah, it's it, that's a great question, Brian. So alcohol laws similar to laws around real estate, similar to um, you know the laws around becoming a lawyer, right? You, you get licensed in your state. It's always been a Any, state. Anybody can be a lawyer, Cody. Let's just, anybody can be a lawyer. <laughs> always the lawyer jabs. Come on. It's true. I mean, especially if I can do it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, it's always a state-driven licensing um, that you've seen and that we've always had. And actually, here, here's, here's a potential angle 
to consider. Um, so a lot of people don't know that the uh, the federal drinking age is not 21. 21 was established um, in large part because of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, got a lot of um, political support to say, um, if you will raise the legal drinking age to 21, uh, we encourage you to do that so that we will continue giving you your federal highway funding. And it was sort of this quid pro quo that happened that got all the states to kind of agree that 21 was going to be the legal drinking age. Um, if something like this were going to happen, there would have to be some sort of similar dynamic for the laws to come to an equilibrium across the states. Um, there's a lot of variations on what this looks like from the tax rates that individual states charge to, you know, you have states like a Utah or Pennsylvania, um, Virginia with distilled spirits. They do this as well, where the state itself owns the liquor store. Mm -hmm. So you're not going into Total Wine or Benny's in Illinois or Publix in Florida. You're going into the Utah state liquor store. Um, and then you have a state like California, where we have all sorts of different retailers that that can do this. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I still anticipate that there will be some discrepancies state by state on what this looks like. Um, but I, I could see a path where maybe there's some sort of uh, legal incentive for states to begin to unify. But it will be sort of, you know, it'll look unified, but it's really all the states have just kind of agreed on on this particular set of guidelines. And what's interesting about that is you kind of talk about the history, right, and how we got here, right? All these laws are just kind of like left over and, mm -hmm. and they, they've come along. And then you have an industry like the cannabis industry who's coming in and they are getting to build their laws in this new age. And so I'm curious, you know, do you think with as cannabis starts to become legalized more and more places, the laws are for, you know, lack of a better term, current, right? Based off of current technologies that are out there. Is that going to force the kind of the alcohol industry, the, the laws around the alcohol industry to ch change a little bit? Well, I can tell you that the alcohol industry is looking to influence the cannabis industry quite a bit. And it's oh, already really? done so. Yeah, has already in, done so. In what ways? In how it's regulated. Um, okay. So particularly, they're looking right now at having a very similar three-tier system set up for the cannabis industry. That's that's really been the primary proposal at a federal level, um, is that that would be the structure that we would have for this. Okay. Um, one kind of larger company to maybe keep your eye on and see where their investment goes is Constellation Brands. Uh, Constellation, um, a subdivision of them, owns uh, owns uh, Corona beer. Um, they also own a lot of different wineries. They own an enormous number of wineries. And so they have also invested pretty heavily in the CBD cannabis industry doing a lot of business right now up in Canada with this. And they are, I would say of the company, the kind of the major companies, they're kind of the one that's really taken this first mover step on trying to sort out what does this space look like? And it looks like they will be one of the companies that plays in both beverage alcohol and also kind of the CBD cannabis space. 
I figured there had to be some connection there because I've in my head it's it's like a it's like an either or thing. It's like a there it's like a big competitor, right? Like want to have a good time, like which one which vice are you going to choose, kind of thing, right? Like you know, it's just it, they seem to be competitors. So I I assume that the big alcohol companies were going to be saying, hey, if we have to abide by these rules, you better bet you guys are going to have to too, right? Or we're just going to get right into that game too, right? yeah. We're jump in and and get involved. And and it's interesting because, um. To date, we haven't seen them play out as competitors. Now, again, right. we're, we're still right. so young and new in all of this that I think we don't really have enough data to make a conclusive you know, draw on what that's going to be. Um, but to date, it's sort of been, I have my occasions for consuming cannabis and right. I have my occasions for wine, for spirits, for beer. Um, and there, you know, there's some overlap there. But for most of the consumers that are partaking in both substances, um, they've kind of got, you know, occasions for both of them and they haven't really um, canceled each other out yet to this point. Again, we'll, well see that makes what sense. happens. And this is coming from a Nebraska guy who it's not legal here. So <laughs> it's not people here haven't had to make that decision. Um, if, if you're doing cannabis, you're doing it, you know, in a, in a way different setting than you're doing alcohol in mm-hmm. um, just because of the legality issues of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, here even what how that choose comes to play, but yeah. I could see, you know, in, you know, a, a long way down the road, us having the billboards and the, the, the Super Bowl ads for cannabis, just like, you know, we're rating cannabis Super Bowl ads, just like we are, uh, you know, the big Budweiser commercials. So yeah. that'll be interesting as that plays out is if have those two industries become competitors or have they all kind of conglomerated together? Yeah. Yeah. It, it will be. Well, and we haven't even talked and we won't, but we haven't talked about the tobacco industry in the, in, in premium cigars. I've spent a bunch of time over the last couple of years hanging out with a, a little bit in that space, listening to what these guys are talking about as well. And that is another area of high regulation and, and c- cigarettes and cigars are regulated differently, <laughs> taxed differently. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it, Cody, as you were talking a lot about this, it reminds me of that's some of the same arguments that are going on where, where premium tobacco gets much more leniency in this country than cigarettes. And, and so, and there's some, there's some battle going on to pull the premium cigar industry into that same, of course, they're fighting it like crazy. Uh, and, and even some recent changes about flavor because of the vaping space that, you know, right, vaping yeah. has very quickly vaping has kind of changed the landscape, the smoking landscape. And so that has, that's kind of added in. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, premium cigars and cocktails. And so those, they, they don't take away, they, they actually augment. I've actually been surprised. We haven't seen some of the bigger alcohol companies get into the cigar space in some ways uh they they uh, for whatever reason they keep those I, I think they keep those very separate so um do you do you run into the cigar i mean in that in this space at all does that does that show up on your radar at all yeah i i don't specifically um i'm not really a sm- cigar smoker myself um i do think that you can get and i'm sure they're just private label and i don't think they own their own tobacco um 
But uh, I do think that there are some Pappy Van Winkle cigars that you can get. Yes, there are. (laughs) Along with Pappy Van Winkle t-shirts and, uh, you know, maple syrup and chocolate bars. Juggernaut. That that, that company is a juggernaut in all those spaces, right? And there aren't many, though. There aren't many like that. I think there's some crossover when we think about uh, individual cigars. There's maybe some crossover infusions. But it's been surprising that maybe we haven't seen a company, the the parent company of Jack Daniels or the, the where they've gotten more interested in crossover in that space. Yeah. It seemed like it would make sense. It there is some, you know, there is some uh, happening in there. Um, Cody, we as we kind of wrap this, anything that I didn't ask you like that I should have is you is we're thinking about heading into recovery. Any other tip? It's just. This is always just so much fun to spend time talking with you about this. Yeah. We don't we don't do this a lot, but it's great to have you on. You're like our industry correspondent here, you know, so a pretty expert. Yeah. Uh, any, anything else that we should have that we should know? Oh gosh. Um I think we we covered a, a lot of the key things. Um Good. Good. I guess I would say, you know, if if you can, wherever it is that you're listening, um just going out and supporting supporting the bars and restaurants that are in your area. Um, that's the biggest thing. Um, they've, they've been through hell. Um, that is not an exaggeration to, to say that the last year has, has really been, has been brutal for them. So, uh, going out, getting together with friends, um, I think is going to be really exciting. I guess maybe the final thing I'm kind of curious, maybe to hear from you guys on remote work, because that's something that we, we talk about at our company right now all the time. What's that going to look like? Um, our industry is very focused on meeting in person, shaking hands, sitting down, breaking bread, you know, literally breaking bread with someone and, you know, kind of having this very intimate face-to-face interaction. And, uh, all of a sudden we realized, well, we don't have to do that. So is there a value to doing this or what, what is that value and what, what meeting constitutes now me flying out? And if I don't fly out, is that you know, does that mean that I don't feel good about the deal or is it just, Hey, what, you know, why, why bother? Like what, where's that line going to be moving forward? Um, that's something that we internally as a company are talking, and I'm sure companies all over the U S are, are talking about right now. Where do, where do we fall? So uh, it's similar for you all or. A little bit. Yeah. So, so my company actually, it was a very interesting. We had just broken ground a few months prior to COVID starting on our brand new massive headquarters, right? We had had a bunch of disjointed buildings all across Omaha and then they're building this nice big headquarters. And, um, you know, in the wake of UC uh, companies like, um, RFI or no, or REI, sorry, um, oh, yeah, REI, yeah. the outdoor people, they had just built a headquarters. They decided not to move into yeah. it. They sold it. Sold it. We, we kind of went the opposite way and we've actually had a recent, so it's being, we're moving in next month. And the thing is we expect people to be in the office. Now there's always, we say, you know, you can still work from home if you need to for certain circumstances, but the overall, um, at, you know, thing from the top is that, you know, we are just a company that we work better in person. We don't need to, we worked really well remote. I mean, it just, we, we kind of just did it naturally. It worked well, but, um, our culture is, is all being together, which I thought was really interesting. I'm, if that's what you want from your company, you know, to have the courage to actually say that when everyone's doing the opposite right now, I thought was pretty cool, but the same way as you. So I do a lot of mergers and acquisition stuff and it's, you know, being in person, all of that was, it was, a big deal. And in the wealth management space, what do you do with your clients? When your clients are coming into your wealth advisor, 
we found though. So I talked to all of our advisors across the country and probably I'd say 75% of them said our clients have loved just doing a zoom meeting, you know, not yeah. needing to come in, do a zoom meeting. They said, can we just do this going forward? This works. Um, there's a few that love the white glove experience, right? You're really high end clients, but the average client has, has really enjoyed it. And the advisors who got onto that early have been like, man, well, do I, do I need an office space? Like I can really do this from my home. Um, and then it's like coming down to like, do your well, does your, does your wealth advisor need a brick and mortar place for you to see them as legitimate is really the only final question here. Uh, mm-hmm. cause you know, the clients like to do zoom. So it's been a very, very interesting time, but for us, we're going to be back, back in the office. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll go hybrid. And we've yeah. always, we were kind of hybrid before And my, my job doesn't require me, you know, I, this is what I do. <laughs> I do this. And so it's great to be in person, but it's actually not as effective for me. Like I, I, I don't, great podcasts don't happen in person. They happen when we're doing this kind of thing. Yeah. I do think we'll get back to a fairly normal state of being around each other. It, it just is, that's the, that's, we're kind of built that way as humans. It'll be slow and everybody's got to kind of come back to it if they're in their own way. But, uh, Cody, I think businesses that do sales will come back much faster than everybody else. There's going to be, as soon as they hear, as other salespeople hear that the, the other sales guys showed up in person and took them out to eat and bought them, right? It's game over. Like all yep. this, oh, it was so much nicer, blah, 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 right? It's gone. And you're going to have folks showing up because at the end of the day, a sales is a sale. And if it, if the playing right now, the playing feels level because just nobody is traveling. So yeah, it kind of works, right? It now, but once we can travel again, you know, we're going to going to want to go shake hands and kiss babies. <laughs> like that's how deals are closed, right? Yeah. Especially the big ones. So I don't, I don't think, uh, I, I don't see us. Um, I, it'll never be what it was. It'll just be different, but very similar. I think in a lot of ways, yeah. um, Cody, as we wrap this, uh, this, uh, today, um, uh, after, you know, after work was done, I was kind of thinking, you know, it'd be nice between five and six to enjoy. We call them candles here. Cause I don't want to get kicked off Facebook or, or, uh, um, a YouTube for it, but grabbed a cigar, went outside and I made a cocktail that I'd never done before. So we found Buffalo trace cream, which yeah, is the, the, the bourbon cream. The bourbon cream. Like, yeah. you know, Bailey's. Okay. That's, you know, Irish cream. Right. Bourbon no. cream. Incredible. This is so, for those who don't know, um, before I had my current job at LiveDiv, I worked for the Sazerac company. The Sazerac company is the parent company of the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Oh. So I have had bourbon cream and I can a- attest that it is, it is delicious. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's really good. <laughs> So uh, I've been brewing because I'm home. I've been brewing my own coffee in a percolator uh, each, you know, every morning. And I had half of it left. So half coffee. It's at five o'clock. Half coffee, half half cream. That was a, like hands down one of the best cocktails I have had in a while. It was. And when you're saying fun. cream, like what's the consistency of this stuff? Is it like pretty thick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah, it's. It's not quite as th- like my, if I'm remembering Bailey's Bailey's to me was always a little bit thinner. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a little bit, I mean, it's not heavy whipping cream. It's not that thick, um, right. but it's, but there's a little bit more of a, I would say a, a richness to it. Oh, that'd be good. Um, like a really good chocolate milk. 
you know, yeah. kind, okay. kind of yeah. consistency, like a really, a really rich. Yeah. And the bourbon doesn't come across, especially in that pairing, the bourbon doesn't come across overbearing. It's actually really delicious. And that yeah. was kind of a new, for me, I was like, oh, this is, this is, and we have to give it a five o'clock name of some kind. Cause you can't, you know. <laughs> This can't this can't be your morning drink, right? It sounds but, like a good Saturday morning drink, to be honest. No, right on. Right on. <laughs> yeah. I put it, I put Do it in the that, whiskey. then go out and mow the lawn. And I think that sounds like a great just transition to mowing it, the lawn on a Saturday it morning. Is, or paired with a morning cigar. Like that could be <laughs> a really it just it paired really well with the I was I was um, I had a Perdomo firecracker and um it they just paired really well together. And so it was it was pretty good. We couldn't I haven't been able to find the Buffalo Trace cream here in our market, we found it down in Texas. And then the weekend we found it, my son found it here in Omaha. So he picked up another bottle. So I've, Oh, so where do you find it? Cause I'm going to have to try too. it. Hi V spirit world, spirit world. I God, think out spirit of spirit world. world. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Cody, do you have a go-to, uh, so that's kind of become now I'm all pumped on that cocktail. You have a go-to cocktail you're making for yourself, uh, right now. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, it's been a lot of sipping things neat for me recently. Um, and I've, you know, been very fortunate. I've got a number of bottles now that I need to actually get, start cracking open and, and tasting and trying through. Um, most recently, uh, I made, I'm trying to think, I think most recently I made a Vesper, which is a martini. Um, the Vesper Martini is actually James Bond's Martini. All right. Um, nice. That was that was good. That okay. was nice. Yeah. Um, and then I think before that, uh, why am I blanking right now? Uh, not the Brown Derby, the Bee's Knees. That's what it was. Oh. The Bee's Knees. Um, so if you don't know, this drink is gin, lemon juice, honey uh shaken up um and uh it's it's delicious sounds um, delightful yeah yeah it's it's like this honey lemon super light it's uh it's what i believe the irish call a session drink you can sit there and just sort of to do one after another mm-hmm. it's like you're drinking right from the 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 you know the hive and exactly. the tree at the same time at the exact same time <laughs> right yep. the pine yep. tree yeah. Mike, any, any, uh, anything you're working on? Uh, drink wise. Yeah. No, not really. Um, stick into the seltzers. Well, there's, there's an embarrassing one that we do in the summer that I'm just not even going to say, cause it's like, you know, all right. All right. I'll let you, I'll let you off. The hook, but I'll say, just, you know, okay. cause you guys, I mean, you guys know I'm not a high class drinker. So like, what's right. the, what's it, but we call it a Mally do. <laughs> And it's Malibu rum and Mountain Dew. And it is, for some reason, just delicious. And I don't know why that makes it so good, but it's one of those summery, just kind of sit around a pool. You have a, you have some Mountain Dew and you have Malibu rum, which is everywhere. Everyone has that. So it's easy. Oh yeah. It's easy to get. Have you ever tried that with Baja Blast? Oh no, but everyone loves Baja Blast. Yeah. I mean, that would be another, that'd be another good summer. Yeah. But uh, tequila wise, Casamigos has been my favorite um, tequila. It's been just uh, I don't know. I've been drinking a lot of that lately. It's been really mm. good. Have you tried Termana? It's uh, the Rocks tequila. I don't think so. I might be. Wait, is that I a Casamigos or is that a different brand? No, it's a different brand. Uh, Termana is 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 the brand that The Rock, D- Dwayne Johnson. Um, oh, his. He, 
Oh, that, I haven't that, tried that one yet. That he came out with. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, I've heard it's good. I haven't personally tried it myself, um, okay. but I've, I've heard through the, through the, the network that I have that it's, that it was well done. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's try that one. Cody, thanks for coming out tonight. We've kept you way longer than I told you, but but I, I appreciate you doing that. Um, we'll we'll let you go back to your fine California weather as Mike and I kind of wrap the show. But thanks for doing it. Let's not make it two years the Please. next time. And yeah. um, folks want to listen to shots of history. Uh, what do you what do you think? And you'll you'll be doing coming up. You can just find it by searching shots of history. Is it shot of history or shots? Shots of history. There's shot. There is actually another podcast called shot of history, which is, I think just two friends getting drunk and talking about history. Um, mine is a little bit different from that. So if you just want to listen to some slurred words, uh, shot of history might be more, more your speed. Uh, no shots with an S shots of history. Um, yeah, right now kind of been keeping consistent with publishing, um, an episode a month. Um, and I think coming up is just going to be more focused on kind of the industry. And I'm talking right now to a few different bartenders and and a few different folks within the industry, potentially trying to get them to come on. It's tough, right? They're trying to line up the dates. And, uh, you know, I, I live more of a, a daytime schedule. Bartenders tend to have more of a nocturnal schedule that they keep. So sometimes getting, the, you know, and then you throw in like I'm on the West Coast, they're on the East Coast. Scheduling can be a little bit difficult, but um, you're working during the week. They're all weekends. They're we're busy during the weekend. They're like, I can do Tuesday at, at 1230. What do you have going on? I'm like, I got three. I'm booked up, double booked at meetings. I, you know, what do you mean? What do I have going on? Um, so, uh, yeah, Shots of History, uh, wherever you're wherever you're currently listening to your podcast, yeah. you can find Shots of History. That's super cool. Encourage folks to uh, to go out and listen to that as well. Cody, thanks for joining us tonight. We'll just let you drop, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back here sooner than two years. How's that? I sound? love it. I love right. it. Really good to catch up with you guys. Yeah, likewise, Cody. Thanks a ton, man. Good seeing you. Take care. Bye. Bye, Cody. Couple reminders for individuals on the way out. One, if you want to join us, Mike. Well, hold on. Before I do that, anything else you want to throw in there? Well, what I was going to say is, you know, the alcohol industry is one of those that, as a consumer, I feel like all of us, and especially the ones who are really into it, feel like you know a lot. I love talking to Cody because you learn so much about kind of like the back end of what makes the whole industry yeah. run. Right. And you learn so much about the laws, regulations, the different things the companies are trying. Uh, I just, I love the insight we get from the totally opposite end of this industry that we all partake in. Um, but that, you know, we don't know <laughs> how it gets to our mouth. Uh, well, really? Right. Around 700 milliliters versus 750. Exactly. All no that. idea. That's super cool. Yeah. Same here. No, good stuff. I, I always appreciate one of the, I was talking to Sarah tonight about Home Gadget Geeks and, and I was just kind of like, you know, we're coming up on 500, you know, I reevaluate about every year. I kind of start thinking, <laughs> you know, is it time to wrap it? Is it yeah. time to, at 500? Is that the time to wrap it? And then I was thinking, I have no reason to do it. These are, all of these are fun. And it's not like the audience is like, eh, you can't talk about that. You know, nobody said, said by no one ever. So, uh, listen, if you're listening to this, if you made it to this far, all the way through that interview, you liked the interview because yeah, you would have turned it true. off a long time ago if you didn't. So thanks for, thanks for making it all the way through a couple reminders on the way out. One big thanks to our Patreon subscribers. We picked up a new one this week. I'll be adding that name and talking about it next week. 
Uh, but appreciate your support on Patreon. Head out to theaverageguy.tv slash Patreon. If you want to join us in the Discord group, it's been kind of quiet, but uh, it can pick up from time to time. Send us, I do appreciate uh, everyone's comments. People did answer my questions as far as to yeah. you know go away a little bit from self-hosting. So I appreciate you guys putting what you guys are doing, what you guys are using out there. Uh, it, it really helped me, actually. I was talking to Hannah about it this week. We're trying to decide kind of what direction we want to go, if we want to stay with what we got or or switch it up. So appreciate your guys' comments. I was reading through all those. Sweet. TheAverageGuy.tv slash Discord, if you want to join in that conversation. Leave us a message, HomeGadgetGeeks.com. There's a little microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. And then don't forget, you can send me an email, Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. Find me at Jay Collison on Twitter. And I have a t- the Twitter app open. There's still lots of traffic out there. So if you want to uh, connect on Twitter, you can find Mike uh, at Uyghur Tech, right? Why do I, why, why I all of a sudden that just escaped my mind? The Average Guy.tv, both web and media hosting powered by Maple Grove Partners. If you want to get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting, both web and media hosting, if you're thinking to start a podcast. And I mean, the best time to start a podcast was 15 years ago, but the second best time is right now. If you want to do it, maplegrovepartners.com. You know this, Christian. Plans start as little as $10, and he's got some room, and he's got some fantastic now redundant sites, data sites set up. So he's pretty proud of that. maplegrovepartners.com. We are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. Mike, you and I will have the helm next week working on getting Aaron Lawrence to come back. Uh, And so we are excited about some things that are happening ahead and we'd love to have you come out on a Thursday night and join us live 8 p.m. Central 9 Eastern average TV slash live. Thanks for coming out for those few is a long conversation, but for those who stayed, thanks for hanging around. I know Brian's still out there. Maybe Joe as well. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you guys with that. We'll say goodbye. Everybody.